This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Amen. Well, you can take a seat. My name is Will. I'm the youth and college pastor here. And uh, as some of you might know, last weekend I was in Washington, D.C. with a group of eight high school juniors and seniors and a few adults uh, for the annual March for Life. Happens every year in Washington, D.C. Tens of thousands of people gather together to celebrate the gift of life. And, and to make a stand against state-sanctioned abortion and euthanasia. And so we do a lot on this trip. You know, we, we go to the march, but we also go to a pro-life conference and visit museums. We go to the monuments. And I think, you know, I've done this a few times, and I think my favorite moment of the trip every year is at the MLK Memorial. So I'm not sure if you've been there in Washington, D.C., but it's kind of just off the way from the Lincoln Memorial. And, uh, you know, it's this wonderful bust of the Reverend Dr. King, and he's looking out over the water, looking at the Jefferson Memorial, right? And we know Thomas Jefferson, right? Writer of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I love the way that these two monuments are placed in conversation with one another. Because MLK is looking out at Jefferson, and what was, what was MLK's work? It was to call our nation into her own ideals. It was to call her to live up to the very things she claimed to value. Do you really value all life? Are we all really created equal? Are we all deserving of the same rights? And I love that moment because I'm there with my students as we're reflecting on the issue of abortion and as, as we're talking about the pro-life movement, I'm saying this is our work as well. We are calling our nation to live into her own ideals. You say you believe these things, but if you really did, then abortion would not exist. State-sanctioned abortion and euthanasia would not exist. And so I wanted to, to give you guys just a little taste this morning of... Um, you know, one of our students and kind of her big takeaway from the Pro-Life Summit. Um, and so I've invited Rachel to come up and share, um, just to, to brag on Rachel for a moment. Um, there, I don't know if we have any other student in our youth group who has done more to advocate for the unborn and to love mothers facing unplanned pregnancies than Rachel. And she's just incredibly open-hearted and tender-hearted. And, uh, and so she's going to share kind of her big takeaway from the Pro-Life Conference. Can we welcome Rachel? Um, thank you, guys. Um, I, I, yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me was uh, just really knowing that I'm not alone and that um, there's so many people around me who are who are trusting the Lord to do this work and to to know that they are they're surrounding they're surrounding me and um, so I think um, sometimes as I accompany my mom outside the sidewalk counseling outside of Access Abortion Clinic in Woodridge um, and I'm speaking to the women I'm motivated uh, not by concern for the personhood of the individual in front of me, but by the aim of turning her away from abortion through my own eloquent words or sound reasoning. 
instead of focusing on making the person in front of me feel heard and seen, I worry if their child's blood will be on my head if I don't get across the right information at the right time. And at the National Pro-Life Summit, what spoke most to my heart was the speaker's demonstration of concrete, self-sacrificial, patient love for those identifying as pro-choice. I was reminded that when I'm out on the sidewalk, my goal should, not, should be to reflect Christ's posture of unwavering love toward both the truth and the individual and avoid winning the argument but losing the soul. Instead of worrying about the insufficiency of my words to turn women away from abortion, I need to constantly ask God to help to trust that he will replace these women's fear of rejection, poverty, or loneliness with love for him and for their children. And I believe that Jesus will continue to grow this desire to not be triumphant in myself, but to proclaim his eternal victory over darkness. as you can see in your sermon notes, I've titled this sermon, A Winsome Witness in a Post-Roe World. And, and my theme is, is a similar theme to what Rachel was reflecting on. How do we talk to people about our pro-life convictions? How do, we, how do we talk to people who might disagree with us? How do we talk to women considering abortion? How do we talk to women who have had abortions? How do we talk about this issue when our kind of social political climate around this is, is just so kind of hotly engaged, right? And it's, this isn't maybe a typical sermon of mine because usually it would be like opening a Bible passage and really digging into that. In this sermon, I'm, I'm more just kind of taking the assumptions of Scripture. And, and what I want to talk about is, yeah, how do we talk and why we must talk about this issue? Actually, that's it. It's why we must talk about the issue of abortion. And, and the reason I'm focusing on this is this, this experience that I had this summer that maybe you had as well. So for years and years, I had been told that Roe v. Wade would never be overturned, right? It would just, it would never be overturned. It was not going to happen in our lifetime. And, and I even preached on this, and I talked about that day, you know, when Roe is overturned. And I basically meant, you know, like that day, like that eschatological day when Jesus comes back, like maybe then that's when this is going to happen. And so last summer, when it was overturned, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's shocking. It was so normal to us for 50 years, and then like that, it's gone. And I expected myself to be celebratory, right? To just be elated that this had happened. And what I actually found in myself was that my feelings were mixed. So there was part of me that really wanted to celebrate and rejoice and talk to people about this, and then there was this other part of me that felt unease. And like, maybe I, I shouldn't share with people that I'm excited about this decision. And it, it took me a while of, of thinking through and, and talking to others to figure out why I had this sense of unease. And I think it was a few things. Maybe, maybe you identify with some of these. I mean, the first is just the reality that the problem isn't going away. Right, so Roe being overturned simply means that, that the decisions around abortion are returned to the states, right, and to the voters and, and to politicians to argue about and, and vote on and, and pass resolutions, whatever. Um, so it didn't solve the problem. The second is that, you know, there, 
there are all these political associations with being pro-life. And right now, kind of the strong cultural narrative is that to be pro-life puts you on kind of the extreme end of the Republican Party, puts you on the extreme kind of right-wing end of politics. Now, that's not true. There's nothing about a pro-life position that, that demands that or necessitates that. But I think a lot of us, you know, not identifying with that extreme end, we're like, well, I don't want to be lumped in with them by, by letting people know that I'm pro-life or talking about this. And maybe this final reason is, is the most significant, is that there's a strong cultural narrative that to be pro-life is to be anti-women. To be pro-life is to be anti-women, and therefore, to talk about these pro-life convictions is unloving. It's unloving to women, it's unloving to women who have had abortions, it's unloving to women who are considering them and in a vulnerable situation. And these cultural narratives are incredibly strong, and I think they keep us silent, and they keep us quiet. But we must speak. We must speak about this issue. And here are three reasons why. Because the problem is so significant, because speech changes things, changes minds, and because speaking the truth is, in fact, loving. The problem is significant. Speech changes things. And speaking the truth is, in fact, loving. And before I go any further, I just, I think maybe what some of you are thinking is like, you know, Will, you're talking in this really objective, kind of matter-of-fact way, but this is a really personal issue, right? There are people in this room who have had abortions. And I just want you to know that I know that. And, and I, am, I, I can't prepare a sermon like this and not think about the women that I know and love who have had abortions because they felt like it was their only option. And so I just want you to know that even as I speak matter-of-factly, I, I have that tenderness in my heart. And my, my message is the same message of Jesus this morning, that if that's you, if you've done something that you really regret, if you've encouraged somebody else to do something that you really regret. You are loved, and you are forgiven. And the, the church, like a mother, wants to gather you in and console you and have mercy on you and comfort you. So let's begin. Why must we speak about abortion? Because the problem is so significant. I mean, think back to COVID. Think back to the worst year of COVID-19, you know, 2020 to 2021, 400,000 people died in our country alone, 400,000 people. We upended our lives to care for the vulnerable during that season, and 400,000 people died. Well, every year, every single year, twice that number die from abortion. Twice that many human lives are not born because of abortion. The problem is that significant. You think about COVID, who were we most concerned about? Children and the elderly. And so do you see that the incredible inconsistency here with state-sanctioned abortion and euthanasia? Whose lives are at risk? Children and the elderly. 
The problem is so significant, and it's focused on the most vulnerable in our society. And so maybe somebody says, well, you know, but there's a lot of other issues that matter too. In fact, abortion is really just downstream of things like, you know, poverty and, and unequal access to health care and unequal access to job opportunities and these kind of things. How come you don't care about those? Maybe you've heard that, somebody say that. And, and my answer to that is, I do care about those. You actually can have it both ways. You can care that abortion would be made illegal, and you can also care about poverty. And it's this weird political structure that we have in our country that makes us think you have to choose one or the other. You don't. And so wherever you fall on a political spectrum, call up your rep. You know, maybe, maybe if you're more progressive, you know, call up your, your Democratic rep and say, hey, I really like what you think about all of these positions, but I think your pro-choice position is actually inconsistent, and here's why. You know, if, and if you're, you know, a Republican or you're conservative, call up your favorite rep and say, hey, I love your pro-life position, but I also really care about poverty. And so can you tell me how your policies help the poor? You can have it both ways. That's the wonderful thing about living in this country. You don't have to fit into these arbitrary boxes. We must speak about this because the problem is so significant. Secondly, because speech changes things. Speech moves people. Speech causes people to reconsider the status quo. And it's actually, it's not that hard to talk about the pro-life position. It's basically these three points. And so maybe you want to write these down because, I mean, these are just good points to have in your mind when you're in conversation and to rehearse to yourself. So these three points. Number one, it is wrong to take innocent human life. It is wrong to take innocent human life. Number two, the unborn are human. Number three, therefore, it is wrong to take the lives of the unborn. It's wrong to take innocent human life. The unborn are human, therefore, abortion is wrong. That's the simplicity of the argument. And so if somebody's going to challenge that, they have to challenge one of those first two premises. So maybe they challenge the second one, and they're like, you know, well, the unborn aren't really human. It's, it's just a clump of cells. It's just tissue. And so you can engage them with that and say, actually, that's false. And, and I know that's false because of the Bible and because of Scripture, because of God's revelation in Scripture. And I also know that that's false because of God's revelation in philosophy and science. You don't have to be a Christian to know that, that the unborn are human. Because from the moment of conception, even when that human being is just a single cell, a single insignificant cell, it's a unique cell, different than every other cell in her mother's body, because she has her own DNA, distinct. And if left unimpeded, if no miscarriage happens, that single cell will develop into a fully recognizable human being. And so they'll say, oh, come on, you can't really believe that. I mean, they pull up this Guardian article that came out earlier this fall or, or this New York Times article that actually came out last week. And it says, hey, look, here are a bunch of photos of aborted embryos, you know, at, at 8 to, to 10 weeks. It's just a clump of, of gray matter. You know, it, it doesn't look like anything. 
And I love Stephanie Gray. She's, a, she's an ap apologist in this area. Her illustration, her analogy here is like, well, imagine you go to Scotland, and you're standing there at Loch Ness, you know, this big lake, and you see the Loch Ness monster rise up out of the water. And so you pull your Polaroid camera out, and it's Polaroid because those are in style again, and you take a Polaroid photo of the Loch Ness Monster, and you pull it out, and you give it to your friend, you say, look, this is a photo of the Loch Ness Monster. And they look at it, and they're like, that's just a bunch of gray blobs. I don't see anything. This isn't a photo of the Loch Ness Monster. And you say, no, it is. You just need, it, you need to give it time to develop. A human being at any stage of their development, it doesn't matter what you call them, a zygote or an embryo or a fetus, they are all under the same category, human, just at different stages of development. And so maybe they'll admit that, and they'll say, okay, yeah, fine. Every abortion is the taking of human life, but sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes the more compassionate thing is to take human life. And so you say, okay, well, what would those circumstances be? And they say, well, well, how about when the life of the mother is at risk? And you can respond, well, I care about the life of the mother too. And you should know that there is no legislation in our country that would prevent a woman from receiving life-saving care while she's pregnant. There is no legislation that would, that would block that which wasn't the narrative we heard after Roe was overturned. The narrative we, we heard was women are going to die because of this awful decision. Well, that's not true. That's not going to affect health care for women who have, you know, uh, issues where their life is at risk. Often what's safer to a mom than aborting her baby, which has a ton of risks to it, to her, What's safer than that is allowing the baby to develop to a point of viability and then performing a C-section where that baby can be cared for in the NICU and the mom can receive the care that she needs. That's the best thing, clearly, for the baby, but usually also the best thing for mom as well. You say, what about ectopic pregnancies? You know, where the embryo and plants somewhere outside the uterus has, has no chance of developing and will put the, the mother's life at risk. Well, ectopic, treatments for ectopic pregnancies are not abortions. They're different categories. And no woman is going to be denied treatment for an ectopic pregnancy if abortion is illegal. Those are myths. They're lies. And so they say, okay, well, maybe not for the life of the mother. What about the hard cases? You know, what about in cases of rape or incest? What about when it's an 11-year-old child? You're saying abortion is wrong even then? And there's no question that these are horrendous situations. There's no question that these situations should elicit our sympathy and our empathy and just like, our, our lament that these things happen in our society. But the question we ask is, is that situation made better by ending another human's life? Is that situation made better by ending another human life? Does this child not deserve to live because of the horrendous actions of his or her father? 
And I think the place to go is to hear the testimony of people alive today who were conceived in circumstances just like these, to hear them say how grateful they are for their mother's heroic decision to carry them to term. All motherhood is heroic, right? Amen? All motherhood across the board is heroic, but certainly especially in cases like these. It is a heroic act out of such an awful circumstance to give life the greatest gift that could be given to another person. And that's what those moms do. And that's what we should celebrate in our society. And we should uphold them. We must speak about abortion because speech changes things. Because when you dialogue with people, they realize that there are lies and myths that they believe that need to be uncovered the lie that the unborn aren't human, the lie that it's in a mother's best interest to abort her child, the, the lie that it's somehow her or the father's right to do so. These are lies that, are un, that get uncovered when we talk to one another, when we dialogue with one another. And we don't have to bulldoze people. You know, like Rachel was saying, we don't have to win every argument. We can, we can stop sharing when the other person is kind of done with the conversation. But being willing to talk, being willing to share, means we're planting these little seeds where they can start reconsidering false assumptions that they've always just taken for granted. And here's the final reason we must speak about this issue. Because speaking the truth is loving. Speaking the truth is loving. And many of us believe the opposite. Many of us have this belief that when we're talking about controversial things like this topic, or we're talking about race, or we're talking about sexuality, that there are certain things and certain opinions that should be kept to oneself because they do harm to other people. And many of us, the way this works is that many of us in our minds, we have this imaginary person, this person who is vulnerable and wounded and hurting and incredibly reactive and angry. And whenever we're listening to a controversial topic, that person in our mind is always listening to, and we're kind of like looking at them like, how are, how are you interacting with this? What would you think about what the speaker's saying? So some of you are like, no, Will, I don't have multiple personalities. That person does not exist in my mind. And I want to say, God bless you, because you're probably a boomer or Gen X, because all millennials, maybe not all millennials, but many millennials, this person is always in the room. That hurting person is always in the room, and we filter everything we hear through their lens. And there's something, there's something that's good about this. What's good about this is that the Lord hears the cries of the poor. We should be attentive to, to the thoughts and perspectives of the vulnerable in our society. That's a good thing. But here's what's not good about this reality. And can I, can I just get some head nods if you know what I'm talking about, this vulnerable person that, thank you. There's a few of us at least. Here's what's not good about this. Is one, we actually reduce the very people we're trying to be compassionate towards. So when we have thoughts like, well, a woman would hear that and think this, or a person of color would hear that and think this, Notice what you've done. You've just, you've just said 
that all women think like this, and all people of color think like this, and we have words for that. It's called sexism and racism. You don't know what someone is thinking unless you ask them, unless you engage with them. It reduces people to think that their voice matches the voice in your head. And here's the second reason this is really problematic for many of us, is that our sense of self becomes lost. And we don't know who we are because all we hear is the voice of this imaginary hurting person who's really upset. And it's important to listen to them, and then it's important to think for yourself and come to what you believe, which might be different than them. And a word I think to many of us, especially us millennials, maybe certainly some of, I mean, for all of us, is that you are allowed to have your own opinion. You're allowed to disagree, even if someone hurting is in the room. You're allowed to disagree with them and empathize with their situation. And so here's how this applies to the issue of abortion. Like I said, many of us think we can't speak into this issue because it's unloving to do so. Because women who have had abortions or are considering them, it would make them really upset. Maybe. Or maybe not. You don't know until you ask. And so the way this came home for me is that years ago, it was my first trip to, to D.C. for the March for Life, and I'm there at the, uh, the Hertz car rental agency, and I'm, you know, I think returning my car at the end of my trip. And uh, I approached the cashier, you know, this young black woman about the same age as me, and she's like, you know, hey, what were you doing in D.C. this weekend? And I'm like, oh. I don't really want to tell her because I'm, I'm this white guy and I got this big beard and I'm wearing a flannel shirt. <laughs> There's all these racial dynamics, maybe. And, and I don't want to be typecast as this kind of like certain kind of dude or bro or whatever. And I'm like, well, maybe I should just tell her, you know, I was just, you know, DC, I'm seeing the sights, you know. And, and then I thought, well, okay, maybe, or I could just tell her the truth and kind of see what happens. So I said, I, you know, I was here for the March for Life. It's a pro-life march that happens every year. And she says, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't keep mine. I said, what? Excuse me? Yeah, I, I didn't keep my baby. I, I was young, and I didn't think I could handle it, and I didn't keep my baby, but, but I, I, think about, I think about that, and I regret it. I wish I had. I can't go back and change that, so... You know, and I could not believe, I'm standing at the, the Hertz car rental, right, at the cashier desk. I could not believe that this woman just shared something with me that was so personal. And you think, what do you say? What does the world have to say? Nothing, nothing helpful. The world would say, oh, don't feel bad about that. It wasn't really a baby. Well, she's heard that message and she doesn't believe it. She knows in her heart that was a baby. And the world would say, oh, but your, your baby understands what you had to do. That doesn't make her feel better. It hasn't made her feel better. She's carrying this guilt. So what do you say to her? What's the atonement for a mistake that you've made that you can't go back and fix? And so I, I say, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that you felt like that was your only option. 
She said, yeah, thank you. And it's awkward, and it was at the car rental, and so I just said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you this afternoon. She said, thank you. But what did I want to tell her? What I wanted to tell her is that guilt that you feel, it's real, but it can be forgiven. It can be forgiven that you can be understood that the circumstances that led you to make that decision, they are understood by your creator. You don't share the, you don't, you don't hold all of the responsibility for that decision. You know, there's, there's a father who shares responsibility with you in this. There's our culture that shares responsibility because they lied and deceived you with these things that aren't true. There's the, our state, our government that shares responsibility because they've sanctioned this awful procedure. You can be understood. You can be understood in the, in the weight that you carry. The part of this that is your responsibility, you don't have to carry that any longer. Jesus can take that from you. And the reason I know that is because I've experienced it too. The gospel is good news for women who have had abortions. Amen? Amen. The gospel is good news for fathers or men who have encouraged women to have abortions. Amen? The gospel is good news for all of us who have done horrible things that we regret. We don't have to live with those things weighing us down forever. Jesus can take them from us. That's what I wanted to share with her. And that kind of gospel message you can only share with someone if you're honest about sin, if you're honest about evil in our world, if you're honest about the reality of abortion. That's the only way that you can minister that kind of healing to a woman in that situation who's done something that she regrets. We must speak about the issue of abortion. We must speak about it. And friends, when you are afraid to do that, remember the gospel. Remember the words of St. Peter that we read this morning where he, he provides this perspective. He says, if you're zealous for good, who's really going to harm you? But even if you are harmed, even if you're slandered and reviled, you're blessed. So in your hearts, Honor Christ as Lord. Ground yourself in that gospel truth that God is a God of life who created us so that we would live for him for forever. God did not wish to be God without us. That is the gospel. Ground yourself in that. Honor Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give a reason, to make a defense for the hope that is in you. And yes, of course, as Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.